This is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. We have a big, 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 big day today. This was one of my favorite shows growing up, high school. Loved watching it every day. I'd come home, I'd stick on the Netflix or, yeah, it was on Netflix at the time. Uh, I'd put on Netflix and I'd watch the show. And I, I'm not a big binge watcher, as you'll actually hear me say throughout these interviews. I like to savor things, watch an episode a day, one or two episodes a night over the summer. And I just remember kind of coming up in high school and, and Leverage was one of the shows I'd watch to unwind. So to have two of the stars of not only the original series, but the reboot or revival, I should say, of Leverage called Leverage Redemption, which is airing on IMDb TV. Uh, this was a thrill. It is Saturday right now. I got to talk with Gina Bellman yesterday and then Christian Kane just a few minutes ago. We're going to start off with Gina Bellman here in just a few minutes. But I want to dedicate this episode to someone who's a listener, listens to every episode that he can. Uh, I think he's he goes back, he listens to the archives. He's been a big supporter of mine since I was in college, and I think single-handedly, <clears throat> and it's a long story, and I'll tell you at the very end of the episode, that story single-handedly saved my uh, college education experience, and that is uh, my communications, my very first communications professor, my very first communications elective professor, Dr. Barry Morris. We took a communications and pop culture course, I think that's not exactly the name, but um, the text was not a textbook. The text were the TV shows that we watched in class and analyzed, and Leverage was a big, big part of that curriculum. I'll tell you a little bit more about what Professor Morris means to me at the end, so that if you want to fall off and not listen to it, I totally understand, but uh, Dr. Morris, you better stay to the very last second on this time code, because I got a, lot, got a lot to say about you. All right, let's get to our first interview. Gina Bellman, of course, is Sophie on Leverage. Uh, initially, it was her and Nate Ford, played by the Timothy Hutton, the uh, Academy Award-winning Timothy Hutton, I should say, who did not return for this series. So now Sophie is kind of the leader of this literal gang of thieves, this group, this family, as they come back together to help newcomer Noah Wiley's character gain some redemption and perhaps redemption for everybody. In the show, a uh, little bit of a spoiler, but it's n- nothing you don't learn the minute you turn on the first episode. Nate Ford is dead, uh, has passed away, and they were married. They were married at the end of the, either either they got engaged at the end of the series, or they were married at the end of the first series. So they were together, uh, Nate and Sophie. And now she has to navigate the world on her own. So it was a, a pleasure to talk to Gina Bellman about digging back into that character, finding having that character find her independence, and having that character step up to be the mastermind role that Hutton's uh, Ford played in the original series. We got a lot of great interviews today, so I'm not going to take up too much time setting them up, but I will say that Gina does uh, tease whether or not Nate really is dead or alive. So here now, our interview uh, from across the pond, actually, over Zoom, with the fabulous Sophie Gina Bellman. Gina Bellman, star of Leverage Redemption. I love the show. I love uh, the addition of Noah Wiley. Can you talk a little bit about how that changed the dynamic, uh, how that changed the dynamic among sort of the core three or four of you and then Noah coming into the mix and being the new team player? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was interesting um, because obviously, you know, we're, we're, we're so connected with each other, all of us, and we, we were on this huge journey together with the original Leverage. But I think um, we're all very experienced actors who jump from production to production. So the kind of logistics of, of, of like working in a new, uh, new player um, wasn't really that challenging, but you know, there's always that worry that the chemistry is not going to be right. It's like, you know, not a worry, but you know, a little niggling because mm-hmm. we knew we we had a mag- magical chemistry in the um, in in the first iteration. Um, but 
it really felt like I remember walking into the read through. We had a very surreal read through where uh, we all got to sort of introduce, meet the new people and introduce ourselves around the table. But um, but because it was COVID, we all had to go in little ante rooms mm. and do the read through on our own. But I could tell just from that read through that tonally, um, you know, um, Noah was just gonna, he just, he just worked so seamlessly with our voices. And I think what felt really apparent on that first read through as well, reading the first script, that you can't, you know, you can't go backwards. I think that this iteration is very kind of forward looking and, and it really felt like we, we, you know, we want to obviously have new v viewers come and find the show and discover the show and enjoy the show as much as our kind of loyal fans. Um, and it really felt that actually having Noah and Elise Shannon um, in the mix gave us that opportunity for um, the audience to meet us, the existing crew, through the lens of the new characters. And I think that worked out as a really, a really useful dramatic device. It really does, and the way it lays out and unfolds is so, so beautiful. How did how did it feel for you to be the uh, the lead the lead girl now? I mean, uh, of course, we had Tim Hutton in the original. Now he didn't return. It's Sophie's. Uh, it's kind of Sophie's story and her journey to her own redemption after losing Nate. How did the how did that feel to you to now be in charge of of this gang? Um, I didn't really ever think of it in those terms um, mm -hmm. because I think we kind of take it episode by episode and the first episode is so sweet and that they're kind of trying to kind of coax her, um, you know, back into joining the crew. So it, there was never a point where it was suddenly like Sophie's the lead of the, the you know, the mastermind as such. Um, I think it's done kind of really subtly and the fact that she's a little bit resistant, a little bit reluctant, really helped me kind of find, I found my feet sort of with her as the season progressed. And then um, I don't know, I don't think anyone's seen the kind of the finale of the of the second drop, but, you know, she really, through the, se the second half of the season, which we'll get in the fall, she really starts to get her kind of pace on and, she's, and she starts to really kind of enjoy it and, 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 and thrive in that position. I think what was um, challenging, um, you know, more so was that Sophie and, and Nate were obviously su such a pair. I mean, they, we even had a sort of online name of Nofi. <laughs> and, um, you know, I didn't know how much Sophie's character would stand alone um, because I know that, you know, Parker's got such a, um, you know, definitive identity and Elliot has such a definitive identity and um, Hardison has such a definitive identity, but Mar Sophie's identity was so wrapped up in, in Nate. I wasn't quite sure how people would, if people would allow her to kind of stand on her own two feet. And it's, it's just been a real a joy that people have embraced that. I've, I feel really blessed. Was that fun? to explore when filming, when getting the scripts? Yeah, I mean, just those tiny little moments of saying, you know, let's go steal her. Um, you know, someone asked me on another interview, what, what was my favorite scenes? And it was just such a buzz every time I got to say that because I could, you know, we, and we are very much, I mean, we're not like our characters, but we're very much in tune with each other. So I could see like um, Christian and Beth looking at me, you know, very eagerly the first time I got to say that. And it was as if they were kind of mirroring their characters as well. It was like, is life imitating art or art imitating life here? But yeah, it was, it was, it was fun to get, take a little bit more responsibility in each episode. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I must confess, just because I, I'm not a binge watcher. I, I know it's set up that you watch it, you can binge. I love that TV is is so serialized these days. But I like to savor. I know we're getting the second half in the fall. I want to get I want to get as close to that as I can before I blow through all these episodes. So I'm only through episode four or five. Uh, but I have to say, I'm already seeing that Sophie is so much more maternal on her own. Um, you've adopted your new crew member and, and are looking out for her. Same, uh, <clears throat> you know, just as everybody else is. And of course, with Noah's character, uh, I think there's a, a, a little bit of shepherding there as well. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Um, it's funny because I always thought of Sophie as very maternal in the kind mm -hmm. of first iteration. And one of the things I was really nervous about because, you know, she was such a, she mentored, you know, Parker so much in the first iteration. Um, and I was very careful, like, I really didn't want to carry continue with, with that. Um, because she's, you know, obviously Parker's been running an international crew and she's matured and she's, um, you know, had her own responsibilities. And I, I didn't want it to feel like condescending in any way. So it mm -hmm. was it was great that we got this little sister and Elise Shannon, um, because I do think that is a big part of Sophie's. You're right in saying that's a big part of her kind of personality and her character. So it was, a, you know, it was a godsend for me that I was able, or that Sophie was able to kind of express that with um, with the Brianna character. And now I, mean, I, I do, um, I did, I do think that my relationship. Um, so I keep saying my, um, <laughs> it's hard. I get it. Sophie, <laughs> Sophie's relationship with Hardison yeah. was um, extremely maternal. I think in the first iteration, and um, you know, obviously Aldous was so young when we started out. Um, that I did sort of miss that I didn't get to play that with him anymore. Although, you know, in real life and and also off um, on camera, you know, we're also proud of where he's at and what he's achieved. Yeah. But uh, I did sort of miss playing maternal towards Hardison. Mm -hmm. And now the character of Parker gets to be maternal as well and gets to be that mentor uh, and, and shepherd in... Uh, and teach her ways to this to the young to the young gun of the team. Yeah, exactly. And so obviously there's a lot of comic. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of um, comedy in that because you know she has a hard enough trouble like um, navigating relationships with you know her equals. So it, it's been that was a lovely arc for Beth to play, and you know obviously she she played it beautifully. But I think it's a good mirror for um, it's a wonderful. Uh, you know they're so good at giving us little mm -hmm. you know nothing there's no sort of trumpets in leverage in terms of like the characters story arcs they're just like little beats here and there and i i, I feel very lucky to play that stuff do you get to improv at all it seems like it i know the structure of the con obviously has to be very very scripted but in terms of your relationship the group ensemble dynamic are you allowed to improv at all within that yeah, we got to improv a lot more um, this time around because we didn't have a writer's room because of the COVID protocol. So we oh, never wow. really had, um, we never had a writer on set. Um, and so there were, in, in the past, you know, you you could, you could, you know, read a script and then obviously you're in touch with email with people and go, oh, I think, you know, there's space here for a little bit between Parker and Sophie, or um, I've got this gag and, um, you know, I think it would be better if Elliot said it, or, you know, I think this is Elliot's scene and maybe he should have the last line. You know, we're very, very collaborative in that way. We all like huddle every time we work on a group scene together. And um, we all give each other little moments that we may not have seen spotted ourselves. And then sometimes there'll be just like a physical bit that like Beth and I both love doing kind of like physical stuff together, like little quirky little um, things with props. So we um, we might say, oh, could you bring in, you know, a pile of money and we're going to do this little thing here. Yeah. So we, we, we did get to improvise a lot in our little character moments together. And, you know, they'll come to us and say, are you guys eating or drinking in this scene? And so we'll suddenly have moments where we start flinging popcorn at each other or, you know, we, we, we get the tone of the scene and we think, you know, how far into this pizza are they? And we get to um, kind of play um, play with all of that. And I, I do think that, that really adds, they trust us because, you know, our dynamics with, with each other and they, they trust us to do that, which is, um, you know, really unusual. And it's, it's, it feels like a, a privilege because I've worked on productions where you can't even change a word. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're just, we were like, we're like kind of tennis players. We're lobbing, you know, I might have a great gag, but I might say, I don't think it suits Sophie in this particular scene. I think it suits that character. And we do, we all do that for each other. I, I love hearing that. Because uh, it comes through, it reads through in, in the dynamic and in the comedy on the screen. So it's really well done, and I'm, I'm glad that's the case. I want to go back to the way beginning, way before uh, you were filming, to when you were first approached about, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to call it a reboot, but the, the continuation of Leverage. What was your initial reaction? 
Well, um, we had sort of, it, it, it came, it, it's a really complicated because on the one hand, it was totally a bolt out of the blue because I hadn't heard any kind of murmurings about it. Mm -hmm. But we were very aware that there was this kind of movement amongst the fans of the show for it to have a future life. And every, you know, we'd, we'd meet up every year or two um, as a group. If we were all in the same city at the same time, we always met up. And we would always discuss, oh my goodness, they're still, you know, they're still behind us. There's still this army of fans that want this show to have a future. And wouldn't that be amazing? So we knew that there was a rumble, but I didn't, it was a complete bolt out of the blue when Dean Devlin called me and said, um, hey, how do you feel about getting the band back together? And I just, I just felt kind of goosebumpy all over and I kind of screamed and just literally jumped up and down like a Beatles fan. It, it was very, very exciting. Love that. Uh, the fans, and, and these things happen relatively quickly now too. Amazon did this also with The Expanse. Once the once they know the campaign is, is enough that, you know, they'll get their money's worth out of the investment, it happens, no questions asked. It's a much different creative environment than sort of the basic cable days. These things can these things are much more democratic among the fans because those services do seem to listen, at least in what I've been seeing over the last five years. A hundred percent. And also I think that, you know, you this is this is about, like you say, it's about the actual consumer telling us what shows they want to watch and also how they want to watch their shows. I mean, I remember when we first um, launched um, Leverage thinking I didn't, I mean, I don't know whether this is politically incorrect to say this, but I, I remember thinking I didn't like the time slot because I always thought this is a family show and it was on at nine o'clock in the evening. And I thought, you know, isn't this, I'd want to watch this show with, I didn't have children at that time, but I want, I would want to watch this show like with my, with my children, you know, on a Saturday night at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever. And um, of course you, you, with the constraints of network or cable television, you, you didn't really have any control over that. But I think what's happened now is that, especially um, during the pandemic, people are watching their shows cross-generationally much more so. You know, mm -hmm. your grandparents are watching the same shows as their children, as their grandchildren. Um, and I think that that will change the way that people, you know, it, it feels it feels like a fresh movement that people are watching things cross-generationally. And I think that our fans, are going to be very, very happy where the show ended up being on a platform where they can do that. They can choose the time and place to watch it with whomever they like. You know, and you mentioned the pandemic and you mentioned having to be sort of isolated for the uh, for the table read. But I, what I what surprised me is that you live in London. I hope you don't mind my saying that, that, yeah. you, that you live in London. What was the process like sort of uh, breaking you out of your country? to to get you to come over and, and be able to film uh with everybody uh well i married um to an american oh, and um yeah so um and my daughter is american and we spend a lot of time in america so um that wasn't that wasn't an issue it, it was the issue was actually before i was married the very 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 first episode the pilot episode of leverage um, I was waiting for my visa right up until, I mean, Dean had another actress lined up to play the part on standby. It was literally like, I had like 24 hours. If I did, my visa didn't come in, then I wasn't going to be playing Sophie. Oh, wow. That was really nail biting. But um, no, this time it was pretty straightforward um, given my, um, my attachment to the US. Yeah. That's interesting because I, I wouldn't even think in terms of citizenship. I'm just thinking in terms of international travel during the during the pandemic. So, it's... you know, nobody was nobody was flying at that time. I have a photo of me on my B.A. flight. Literally, the, there were 15 people um, on the flight and I had my whole cabin to myself. It felt like a huge jet that was I felt like I was going private, which felt very um, glamorous. But actually, it was a pandemic airplane with nobody on it. And, and we met um, the pilot and we were like, how can how can you afford to fly this huge plane and he said oh they're absolutely all those planes are full of cargo going backwards and forwards so they were able to do that but um yeah it was it was quite eerie being on being the uh, you know one of 15 people on one of those massive jets mm -hmm. did the pandemic present any other challenges with filming or was it once you got on set was it pretty much kind of straightforward back in the game 
I mean, I think if any, if the pandemic's taught us anything, it's about how adaptable we are. I mean, mm -hmm. you see it in children, how they adapted to homeschooling and how, how the elderly people adapted to being, you know, so isolated. I think that we do adapt. I found it quite difficult because obviously um, we were shooting in New Orleans and we, we didn't know anyone there and we were setting up in a new city and we weren't allowed to socialize. So the first few months were quite lonely. I mean, you would get to see everybody at work, but everybody was wearing masks and you you have to eat on your own in the trailers. So that uh, that social, I mean, I one of the reasons I chose to be an actress in the first place is I always say, you know, I wanted to join the circus. I wanted to be the social side of it, of, you know, doing theater and going to the pub afterwards or having rowdy lunches with the crew on set and, um, you know, all the joking and joshing. And, and, you know, actors are very physical people or used to like touching hugging um and and so that that was quite lonely and it felt you know difficult but it was easier for the actors you know the crew were wearing those um, masks and all and the visors and the protocols you know for much longer hours at least we did get to take ours off and when the camera was rolling um but yeah i mean everybody uh, you know you've adapted mm -hmm. <laughs> we've we've all adapted right like little fish yeah I, I do want to ask two questions, uh, if I may, uh, kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, if you miss working with uh, Mr. Timothy, Timothy Hutton, and if Nate is really dead. Well, I definitely can't comment on the second part of that question because I have no idea what's all going on in uh, anyone's brain except my own. Mm -hmm. um, and But in terms of your first question, absolutely 100%. Tim's one of my dear friends. Um, it was such a privilege to work with him. Um, he taught me so much. Uh, you know, I did 77 episodes with an Oscar winning actor and he had a massive impact on me, my personal life and also um, as an actor. So yeah, it was, it was definitely an adjustment and he was missed not just by me, but by um, a lot of people. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully, um, There'll there'll be other chances to work together. I and you know, he's a, he's a brilliant actor with many many more great projects to come. I'm sure. And uh, to your you have your own thoughts. Do you care to share any of your own thoughts in terms of the is Nate really dead question? I have literally no idea we i we don't have you know when you sure. say do we improvise we improvise on those <laughs> tiny little details yeah. but we don't have any input into no 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 like, i mean you as an actor who's you said you have your own ideas in your own head i'm wondering if i'm just wondering your own personal thought process since you mentioned it I, I know you don't like you said you don't really have an idea but i'm wondering where your brain goes as an actor to that question I think you always have to play the truth of what's on the page. And mm -hmm. Sophie's truth is that Nate is dead. And so that was what I tried to, you know, I tried to uh, play her grief, but not in a way that was all consuming. I tried to play her as someone who was really trying to find her place in this new world, mm -hmm. you know, she, that she had, um, experienced stability she had experienced a committed relationship and intimacy and then she lost that mm -hmm. and I feel like my like my wish for the season was to play the kind of subtlety of someone after they lose someone not so much the pain and despair but the kind of where what what is my life now mm -hmm. and that was kind of what I focused on well it it translates really well, especially in that first episode. It's just so heart-wrenching to see you go through that. Um, and it's Thank almost you. laid out. I don't know if this was your choice or the choice of the of the writers and the way it was edited, but it's almost like, you know, that was the the sacrifice for living the life that you've lived as a, as a con artist was you can have love for a minute, but then it all goes away. And I, I think um, maybe I'm reading into it, but... But that certainly is how it came across in the first few moments. And it's it was certainly played very beautifully. 
I like that. Thank you. Yeah, I like that uh, concept. I, because I think, you know, it's easy. We play um, these characters as very kind of like likable um, rogues, mm -hmm. but actually they've all been kind of criminals and criminals work in isolation and they work with the, you know, with jeopardy all the time of, you know, losing their freedom. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like that concept. Thank you. Of course. Well, Gina Bellman, this was awesome. Stay on for just a second after I wrap here because I want to talk to you about one quick thing off uh, off mic here. But sure. Gina Bellman, thank you very much. This was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Gina. I really appreciated it. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll be looking out for how Sophie continues to grow and in her grieving process and uh, grow in her independence and as the shepherd of this group. My next guest is somebody I've wanted on this show since it became a celebrity talk show in 2015. He is a, uh, I'm just a huge fan of him. Our whole family is. My mom loves his music, loves his acting, has watched everything this man has done. Um, I admit I started watching The Librarians but kind of fell out of it. Uh, but anything he and Dean Devlin do, they are a dream team. Christian Kane is like, a, a, you've heard of a triple threat. I think he's like a quadruple threat quintuple threat i mean the man is an incredible actor an incredible action hero his fight choreography which we talk a little bit about in this interview is just phenomenal um he's an amazing uh southern rocker country musician the music uh i, I honestly think and I, I think i almost told him outright you know you don't do enough in music because your music is so good we need more and he said i know he said i know the caniacs out there which is what he calls his fan base. Uh, he said the Caniacs out there want more and we're going to work on giving giving them more. We talk about everything. We talk about returning to leverage, doing the fight scenes under the COVID guidelines, music, uh, his career beginnings. He has a really interesting beginning to both his acting and music career. It's really, really cool. Uh, again, I'm trying not to waste too much of your time setting these up, so I'll just say here now to talk about literally being back in action, our interview with Christian Kane. Christian Kane, welcome to the show. I got to tell you, I've wanted to talk to you since I started this podcast. I'm such a big oh, fan. You are man, so cool. That means the world to me, man. That means the world to me. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's a thrill to have you. Leverage Redemption. I mean, when you got the call from Dean or whoever called you, what went through your mind when you found out the band wanted to get back together? <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, uh, unlike some of the, the cast, um, I've been working with Dean since the first day of Leverage because we went off and we did the librarians afterwards, which I did with Noah Wiley. Mm -hmm. And then me and Dean split off and did my own show called Almost Paradise in the Philippines. So I had a little more inside scoop than the rest of the people, but... We were in the Philippines, and Dean had come in to direct the last episode of Almost Paradise, and uh, and we were walking around. He goes, "By the way, stop cutting your hair." And as soon as he said that, <laughs> I was because uh, I, you know, I was getting haircuts once a week in the Philippines. It's so hot, and it was the last uh, you know two weeks there. He told me to stop cutting my hair, so I knew he was serious. And uh, and we both just kind of celebrated in the Philippines before mm -hmm. being shipped out before COVID. And um, and so I knew it was real, man. And it was uh, it, it was it's the biggest family I've ever had. Um, you know, some people say, well, a lot of people say that about the cast they work with. I've worked mm -hmm. with a lot of casts before, different casts, and it's never been like this. And it's usually not that great. But we ended up working twelve. 14 hour days and then all of us would go out and have dinner you know i mean we weren't we never got tired of each other we really do look at ourselves like a family so it wasn't really getting the team back together for us it was putting the family back in the same room i love that i want to talk about you for a minute though what came first for you a desire to act or a love of playing music you know it's funny because i you know, a kid from oklahoma and i used to be the guy that was you know the 14 year old kid that <clears throat> got down on his hands and knees by his bed and prayed all this stuff would happen to him. And now it's happening. And the very first role I got was a show called Fame L.A., mm -hmm. uh, directed by Kenny Ortega. Uh, most people know him from This Is It, Michael Jackson. He's done a lot of stuff with Michael Jackson. Anyways, it was kind of a sing and dance type thing. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of the first American Idol because they did searches in, in Seattle, Miami, New York, and L.A., and I won the role. So it's kind of like winning... American Idol at the age of 22 when I was, you know, and, 
and uh, the character was a comedian, and I started doing some stuff, and they said, well, you're about as funny as a stick, so what else can you do? And I remember the last song that played in my car was one of my favorites of all time, was Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Now, some people consider me a country singer, but I... Uh, I just started singing Fast Car, and they said, good, we're making you a singer. So <laughs> I kind of had to learn. Uh, I learned guitar. The music supervisor for the show was Prescott Niles, who taught me G, C, and D on the guitar. Uh, he's the bass player for the Knack. Everybody knows my Sharona. So he taught me how to play guitar in two weeks, and, uh, and we were off and running. And so the love of music came because no longer was I just singing to the radio. I could actually play something on the guitar, not that well. <laughs> but I could play it, and so I fell in love with music. So literally, when people ask me this question, I'm sorry to be long-winded, but it's a really important question. The fact is, I started my music career, my acting career, on the very same day. That's insane. Yeah. Have you ever thought, wow, how how fortuitous that was? Have you ever looked back and go, that's just one in a million? <laughs> you know... <laughs> I have I have reoccurring nightmares sometimes where I wake up out of a dead sleep and and the dream that I was having was that I didn't come to Los Angeles so I didn't try it. Right. And a lot of pe- lot of, lot of people have said you know I've talked to throughout the years it started with friends and then it became people I met at conventions. Uh, they say well I want to be an actor I want to be an actor what do I do and I said make sure that there's nothing else in the world that you want other than this. Mm-hmm. This for me this was kind of the only thing I could do I got to be honest with you and so. I really came out. There was never a time when I thought that I was going to fail. I just I was kind of a naive kid thinking that this was going to happen because if you put hard work in, it happens. But it's uh, it's those dreams that I wake up in the middle of the night that I, where I didn't leave and I didn't come out here and I'm watching it through a different world. And those to me are nightmares, man. I'm fortunate the Lord has blessed me and I'm very happy to be here. Love that. Absolutely. When did the fighting and the ability to do the fight choreography so well... <laughs> come into the mix <laughs> well I, I grew up in a town where there was only about two or three things to do and one of those was fighting so mm. i lost a lot of fights before i actually learned how to do some stuff so i was a wrestler out of oklahoma uh started taking a little mma when i got out here for some different stuff but i always was it's not really the fights that got me into it it was that i was a steve mcqueen fan i just wanted to do my own stunts which i have for, you know, since I started this, I do my own stunts. And there's been maybe four or five of them in my career that I haven't done because they were too dangerous. But everything else I do, and especially when it comes to fights, no one's ever doubled me in a fight. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, it, it's Bruce Lee. You learn to fight by fighting. Mm-hmm. That's one That's one of my all-time favorite quotes. And you, you learn to cook by cooking. You learn to dance by dancing. It's not, It's and I'll go back to that, but it's not, you know, you can't read it in a book. And basically, when we're talking about fighting here, I'm getting older. Let's be honest about it. It really is a dance. It's not fighting. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful dance that two people have to do real well. They get really hurt. Yeah. I've been fortunate enough to work with the greatest people. Um, the, the way fighting really started was when I was on Angel. And I told Mike Massa, who was David Boreanaz, the stunt double and, and uh, the stunt coordinator, I uh, said, I want to do my own stuff. And he was like, that's fine because I was so expendable on that show. If I get hurt, they just kill me or write me off. Mm-hmm. So I really started doing all my own stuff like that. Massa, Massa let me do it. And then moving on to leverage, I used to hang out with a with a good buddy of mine, Clayton Crawford, who uh, who ended up being Martin Riggs on Lethal Weapon. Yeah. One of my dearest friends in the world to this day. And we were going out in Hollywood, and we were getting to, into a little bit of trouble. And uh, John <laughs> Rogers, the creator of leverage, kind of knew about that. And so, you know, it was all about the acting. It was never a question of whether I could do it or not. Uh, he knew that we had been in a little bit of trouble. And uh, it just kind of happened. I mean, I, it really is, man. I'm sitting here acting like a tough guy. It really is a well-choreographed dance. It's just instead of, instead of, um, you know, instead of being beautiful, it's violent. How did it work with COVID this time around, staging that choreography for the, for the revival? Well, we were very fortunate. My, uh, our boss and creator of the show, Dean Devlin, mm-hmm. um, Independence Day, Godzilla, The Patriot, you name it. I the, love you know, Dean. He, I love uh, Dean. He's such, a, he's such a great guy, and he's been so kind to me. And he, we were tested three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. No matter if you were working or not, you came in. Um, Dean did something really great, which is instead of bogged down in Louisiana, 
uh, hospitals with all these COVID tests that we were going to be taking. He bought our own machine and bought our own setup so that we were not able to, uh, to, to, to make the, the health industry lag there. Mm-hmm. And we took, um, and we took, we, we took COVID tests and I actually ended up getting COVID in oh, December. Wow. Yeah, it was not fun, but, uh, it, it had nothing to do with the set though. Cause no one else got COVID. I must've gotten it somewhere else. It's really, and, uh, but we, we were very careful. We were very, very cautious. We always wore masks, even when fighting. And when, you know, and everyone was tested. And by the time we ended up doing the fight, we knew that everyone was 100%, you know, free. And, uh, and then we take the masks off and do it. How, how are you? Was, was how tough. is your. I mean, we, well, pause there, check in on your health for a second. Are you okay? It's, how bad was it? Are you, are you okay uh, now? I wasn't. It, yeah, it wasn't that bad for me, and I'm fully vaccinated. And, and uh, it, it really, honestly, wasn't that bad for me. It was more the fact that I had felt like I had let Dean down. You know, thank God it was right before the Christmas break, uh, so we were going to go off anyway. It couldn't have happened at a better time, but right. uh, everything was fine for me. You know, so I'm, I'm very fortunate. That's good. Well, you said something. You said you learned to fight by fighting, and you learned to cook by cooking. And uh, after I got done with Gina earlier uh, yesterday. I uh, asked her, I said, so what What should I know about Christian going into my interview with him tomorrow? And he said, he said that, she said, that dude can cook. Uh, and <laughs> one of the things you didn't get to do this time around on the set was make your sandwiches. Yeah, I used to make her sandwiches and uh, she... <laughs> She used to love it. I used to go. I mean, we couldn't do it this year because of COVID, but right. uh, every single season on Leverage for five years, I would go and make her. So she wanted a sandwich. I'd go in the truck and make her a sandwich, um, especially when she was pregnant. She was pregnant for a while on season three, I believe, yeah. and she was always craving something, so I always had to go make her something new. I just love to cook, man. It's a, it's an art form for me. I believe you eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth, and uh, it's something you know. It's something that, that I didn't have any money when I came out here. And uh, and then I got a job, and all of a sudden I wasn't living on a can of ranch style beans and ramen noodles anymore. I could actually buy some food, mm-hmm. and of course at that time the Food Network really wasn't that big of a deal. But Emeril Lagasse was all the rage, so I used to watch Emeril, and I told him that when I met him, I told him how much he meant to me, and I really found a love for cooking. And uh, now it's become a huge thing for me. I had my own TV show for a while, my own show called Kane's Kitchen that we're going to bring back. Uh, and it's just, it's just me cooking. It's just me having fun. It's not about making money. It's just me doing what I do and, and, and finding enjoyment through that. And found that I reach a lot of people on Instagram by, by, uh, by showing food as well. Cause we all have the love for that. I know that <clears throat> me and Freddie Prince Jr. We seem to be in competition of whose food can get out there the fastest. He's <laughs> an old friend of mine that I did summer cats with, but, uh, it's fun cause he'll like my stuff and I like his stuff and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Is there a, a favorite thing of yours to cook? What do you What do you like to make the most? Man, I'm 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 be honest with you, and I kind of grew up. I grew up in Texas. Mm-hmm. Grew up in Oklahoma. Was born in Dallas. Um, I, I I love Mexican food. I always have. But when I came to California, I found out there's a thing called California Mexican, mm-hmm. which I really really enjoy. I mean, I still love all the lard and refried beans and the really good Mexican foods you can get. But that's kind of Tex-Mex to be honest. But California Mexican, really fresh. I love burritos, fresh avocado, fresh tomato stuff like that. I love Mexican food, but I love it when it's fresh. Love that. Absolutely. I want to switch gears here. I want to talk a little bit about, we'll come back to leverage at the end, but I want to talk about your music. Uh, my mother is a caniac. Uh, oh, wow. Absolutely loves you. I love your music too. Uh, now forgive me if I just haven't seen it, but uh, haven't put much out in recent, uh, in recent times. Is, uh, are you going to get back into the swing of it with music and releases, or is that on hold with the acting? No, it's not, and the, the acting is not on hold either. No, 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 I mean on hold because <laughs> but, uh, of the acting. I'm sorry, I misspoke Right, that. no, 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 yeah. no, no, you, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, no, I actually reached out to uh, one of my good friends who was a producer the other day, and we talked for about an hour. We haven't spoken in a while, and I, I think we're going to get back in the studio and do something. Um, I'll keep names out of it right now just because mm-hmm. of uh, the stuff, but, um, but I've been writing. I've been writing with my guitar player, Hank, uh, Riley Smith, who's... I guess he's what is he, Nancy Drew's dad on Nancy Drew, which I mean we, I don't think we're that old, but whatever. Oh. He plays a dad, 
Uh, Riley Smith's a very dear friend, and when he comes back into L.A., which is very rare, we always get together and we write some stuff. We've got a couple of songs we wrote. We're really going to put some stuff out there this time. I've been saying it for a while, and then COVID hit, and then I, I went to the Philippines where there was no access to anything, and then, you know, five months there, then back to Los Angeles, and right when I landed, that's when everything locked down, and then I was fortunate enough to go to New Orleans where where you can get inspired, except for the fact that there was nobody blowing a horn or playing a guitar anywhere because of COVID. Mm. So. It just really has been a tough time for musicians. I mean, probably not for real musicians, real people to take it seriously, um, because that's what they're doing. COVID probably was great for them. But for me, it's an art form. It's always been a love, and it's just it's something that I give out, not really wanting anything back, just to give a, a little piece of me and hopefully make somebody happy. And, and so uh, I may have not been taking it as serious because I was so worried about you know, leverage getting out there. And now it's time to play a little music, man. And I'm excited about it. I've got, uh, I've got the team, uh, back together for, uh, for some really good stuff that's coming. Thank you for asking that. Well, I love it. One of the things Gina told me she missed was getting to see you gig somewhere, uh, while you were shooting. Cause live shows weren't happening at that time. So got anything lined up? Any, uh, any live shows lined up? I don't have anything lined up at this moment. Me and Riley used to go out for, uh, for a, uh, a thing in London that we do called One More Shot, and that's been a huge success for us. So we go out and travel and play around London a little bit and play for a, sort of a charity-type benefit, you know, that, that, that just helps people. And uh, uh, a lot of Caniacs there. By the way, th- tell your mom, thank you for being a Caniac. It means the world to me. Yes. Um, but nothing going on right now just because of COVID, man. You can't book anything. We wanted to go to London. We were supposed to go to London, and we just can't. So there's really nothing we can do at this point. And Gina's talking about the fact that we used to play out in Portland when we were there. Yeah. Like once a month, and the whole cast would come, and we would just, uh, you know, everybody had some adult beverages, and, and we would play music, and we had a blast. And Timothy Hutton ended up directing my first music video, which was The House Rules, and we mm-hmm. directed it in the club that we played at. And so it was, it was just, that was a lot of fun back then. I missed the music a lot. It's just been tough to get back into it with everything going on. So we're, we're on that road right now to get back in there. Well, it's funny you talk about, you know, it's a hobby, it's a passion, it's love, you know, compared to people who do it full time. The music is really good, Christian. It's Thank really, you, really good, and it's like you, you could you could tour on those albums. I mean, seriously, and you should. So take it from. Well, we did for a little bit. We did for yeah. a little bit, and I think that's what happened the most was the fact that it became a business. And you know, I'm not going to candy coat it anymore because I don't have to. Nashville, Nashville didn't want us, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. You know, Bob Ezrin produced my album, mm-hmm. who did Pink Floyd, The Wall, Kiss Destroyer. I mean, he's a rock god. And I think Nashville, when I see Nashville, everybody thinks I'm hating on Nashville. I have, I have invested in a restaurant. So I don't hate Nashville. When I say Nashville in the music business, as you understand, Nashville counts for some of the biggest radio stations out there. Nashville yeah. is also yeah. part of Chicago, part of Milwaukee, part of Denver, part of Florida, part of South Carolina. Nashville is a, is a conglomerate of radio stations. It's not the town Nashville. Yeah. But what they didn't want was to make room on the roster for an actor and a rock god. And that's how they looked at us. And a lot of people you know, said, hey, you know, he uh, he's just going to go off and do a movie, so why would we put all this time in? People didn't realize I had put 15 years of my life into this. I mean, we, we, we took it very, very, very seriously. And um, and I just, I don't think they wanted Bob to be a part of Nashville, and I don't think they wanted me as an actor to be a part of Nashville. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny because I didn't see you guys having a problem when I walked the carpet with Tim McGraw on Friday Night Lights. You guys were real happy to have him in the music business. Yeah. You know, have him in the, in the in the acting world in the music. And so I was like, what's 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 wrong with letting me? And I take it seriously. I lived in Nashville. I wasn't living in Los Angeles. So a lot of a lot of stuff came out of that, and it was just kind of a bad road for me. And I've changed I've changed direction. And this is really about me, and it's really about getting some music out to the fans and everybody that has put a cane tattoo on their body. <laughs> I owe it to them to keep going, man. I feel so bad. So. We are definitely going to be back in the studio, and I'm telling you, I'm hoping that this happens before anything else happens because we're we're geared up and ready to go. I love it, and you know what you hit on is the same problem. Uh, one of the other things I do is is a music journalist, and you hit on exactly the problems that uh, that Kevin and Michael Bacon have that uh, that Kiefer had when he was out with his album, and I think I've opened for the Bacon Brothers, yeah. and um, yeah, and uh, and. It's- 
Yeah, and Billy Bob I mean, and they kick, JD. They kick, Keanu, they kick Keanu Reeves out of the band, for Christ's sakes. And he's good, you know what I mean? They yeah. kicked him out of the band just because, you know, he, they, they didn't. It's, it's, it's a tough gig. Yeah. They're but then big. again, you know what? Nobody, nobody, I don't know, man. No, I get it. It's it, tough. It's funny. It's a small world. Their bass player, Paul Guzone, was our radio club uh, uh, proctor, I guess, you know, the head of our radio club, uh, the teachers, the, the professor oversight person. Uh, when I was in college, so yeah. you know it's it's a small world and same That's thing. Crazy. Same thing with JD and uh, JD and the Boxmasters with Billy Bob Thornton. You know these actors who also take their music very seriously. It's a, it's a challenge, but I hope the uh, I hope the album uh, or whatever you're going to put out there does does as well as you deserve. Let's get back to leverage here in the last couple of minutes. Um, yeah. What do you hope the fans take away from? Uh, I'm I'm got three episodes left on this first half of the season. I'm trying to savor it, and then the next half of the season coming. What do you hope the fans walk away thinking, feeling, taking away from this show? I hope that they have a sense of comfortableness. I hope that you know, as Elliot Spencer, I've, I, I've kind of touched on this before. As Elliot Spencer, I'm the one constant that's coming back to the show. Everybody has new outfits. Everybody's got new stuff, and I was like, really, I, I got to keep this. I got to keep this the same. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Some people have said redemption. Where's 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 the road to redemption for for Elliot? And I'm just like, there is no road, and they get confused by that. But I but I'm but I'm what I'm saying is is that you know everybody else is 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 a thief and a hacker, and they've done some really bad stuff. We forget that Elliot's almost a serial killer. <laughs> he's killed a lot of people in his former life, so there never will be an answer for him. He's probably going to be the one that keeps doing this for the rest of his life, and he's never going to find redemption. And there's some there's some really good moments with Noah, who's trying to, to trying to find his way through this, as you've seen, where not coaching, but Elliot's trying to tell him he's really proud of him. And so at some points, I think Elliot's getting a little redemption by other people getting their redemption. Mm-hmm. But we want the fans to feel comfortable. We want to feel like these are the same people that you grew up with in your home. Um, we also want to be new and flashy and fresh, which we have. Uh, I've got a lot of really great episodes coming up. Some re- Beth Reesgraf directed an episode with me and LeVar Burton uh, where we're just, you know, running around. Just It's a action-packed thing. It was her first time directing. She did a great job. Uh, I've got some some stuff coming up with uh, a big episode with me and James Marsters, who is Spike on Buffy. I mean, uh, yeah, on Buffy, and, and then he came over to Angel, where I was Lindsay. So it's Lindsay and Spike going at it again, just wearing different hats. Uh, there's a lot of really great stuff coming to me in the second run, which I'm not sure when it's going to come out yet. But people have to remember, we got eight more of these coming, man. Mm-hmm. And we just want you to be happy. The fans is what made this happen. It really is. It's not us. I mean. I mean, Amazon and IMDb were so gracious to give us a platform, but it, but but it really was the fans. Keep they kept going all these years. They kept going. They kept going, and somebody listened, and especially Dean Devlin was hearing them the whole time, and put everything back together. So we want to give you something new. We want to bring it up to the times, but at the same time, we want we we want you to feel like you're still you're still sitting there with the family that you grew up with. I love it. I love it, Christian Kane. This was a pleasure. I know you're headed off on a vacation, so please enjoy. Very well earned, very well deserved. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Matt, you need anything, you call me anytime. Bubba. Christian, thank you so much. Anytime you have a new project, a new anything, please give me a call, shoot me a message, and we will have you back. I'm a, a big fan and hopefully a friend now because uh, you're just a, a really great guy. And also, thank you for what you did for my mother. I know she will flip when I play that for her. So thank you very, very much for everything. Uh, That is it for the episode. I want to go on a little bit more about who this episode is dedicated to, Professor Barry Morris. This man is almost single-handedly responsible for every great experience I had in college. Um, He was, like I said, the communications and pop culture professor, um, and I knew I could trust him. So I went to him uh, in my sophomore year, and I said, or no, end of my freshman year, yes. And I said to him, because I took this course in, in second semester of my freshman year, and I said to him, I said, Professor, I said, I have this opportunity to do this internship out in Las Vegas with my friend Terry Fader. I said, I don't know how the heck to, because we had to do an internship course, how the heck do I qualify for that? He said, don't worry, I'll be your internship advisor. We'll do it as a summer credit, and we'll work together on it because it's such a unique experience. 
and we stayed in touch ever since then. And I remember, end of my junior year, being in his office crying. And I will, I will admit to it. I was probably bawling my eyes out. Um, because, and, and everybody knows this, I actually took a shot at the department as I left in my senior year of the film and screen studies department. But I hated my major. I hated how deep into it I was that I couldn't switch because what they did, and I will, I will say this to my, I will say this to anybody who will listen. They did a Pace's film and screen studies department, and I'm not going to name names, but they did a little bit of a bait and switch. They said, if you want to make films, want to be in content, come major in this major, come study film and screen studies, get your BA in this. And, um, Turns out that wasn't the case. It was mostly academic. It was mostly academic film analysis, film theory, uh, structure, composition, mise-en-scene, if you will. And by the time I realized it, I was too deep into it, but I was also too deep into my media career, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I, I, had a, I panicked in his office. I said, nobody's going to hire me with this degree and this experience. It's such a mixed bag. And it was an uphill battle for a few years, but... The saving grace, the thing that encouraged me was Dr. Morris sat me down and he said, okay, he handed me a tissue box. He said, okay, he said, listen to me. He said, you're going to go take electives at the Media Communications and Visual Art Department upstate next year. He said, and you're going to put those classes on your resume. He said, and after you get your first job, nobody's going to care what your degree is in because you will have demonstrated that you can do it and that you're successful in what you do. And that is exactly what I needed to hear because I didn't intern. Really, I had one internship my senior year. I, I didn't really intern, and that was in entertainment management, but it was something I could get to put on the resume. And Roger Paul, who I interned for, I owe him a great debt as well. But focusing on Dr. Morris here, my college experience, I would be lost. I would be so lost if he didn't say, take as many comms and as many media electives as you can. And so I have him and Professor Fink and Professor Maharaj uh, to thank, and I got to know them through Dr. Morris's recommendation. So Dr. Morris, this show is as successful, and I'm where I am in D.C. in large part because you saved my opinion of my college experience, and you saved my last year and put me on the right course as much as I could be. And that is why I keep bothering you to co-host or to be a guest, because uh, there's just an immense amount of gratitude that I don't know that I could ever repay. So thank you to those who stayed and listened to my rambling here. But uh, that is it for us today. Thank you again to our guests, Gina Bellman and Christian Kane. Remember, you can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for Two. Follow us on Instagram at Talk for Two Pod. Reach out to me at Talk for Two Cast at gmail.com. That is T A L K F O R T W O C A S T at gmail.com. And visit our mothership, talkfor2.com. It's all there even some video extras with one more big shout out and dedication for this whole leverage thing to Dr. Barry Morris, who used leverage five years after I had found it in class. I'm Matt Bailey signing off and reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. <laughs>